Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Episode three, episode three. Let's get to it. Um, first of all, thank you for rocking with us. We appreciate y'all. Um, and I want to shout out. I got this dope hoodie um, merch. Um, tag the brother. But um, thank you as well. It's, it's called Flight Risk. It's an interesting story behind that. Um, but check his page out. Check him out. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, okay, let's get into it. So we're going to talk about. The biggest event in sports that just recently passed, right? The Super Bowl, but we're gonna take a different approach. We'll take a different approach. Yeah, it. last week we talked about the marketing, marketing of, of the Super Bowl, um, but another huge part of it is the amount of money that's gambled on the game itself. So, the Super Bowl took in a hundred and thirty-four million dollar in bets um, on the game, prop bets, halftime things like that. Um, so, 
we're going to talk about sports betting on a national standard stage. So we have seven states right now in the United States that have sports betting, um, with New York being a state that is on the fence about it. Um, so you have uh, Nevada. Obviously, we know about that. Uh, Las Vegas is, is a huge um, city when it comes to gambling. That starts in the 1940s. You have Delaware. You have Pennsylvania, New Mexico, uh, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Um, Virginia. And the last one is Mississippi. Mississippi. So you have seven states right now um, that are engaging in it. And it's a huge revenue uh, gain for the states. Um, but for some reason, New York can't figure out how to get this correct. Um, if we go down the list of how much money is generated um, by each state uh, for Nevada in the past six months, so we're talking about from June 2018 to December 2018, as expected, they have the highest. They, gr they grossed in about $2.2 billion in that time. Delaware, a small state, uh, grossed $84 million, with 50% of that revenue going directly to the state. Um, Mississippi uh, generated $113 million. And Pennsylvania, which st started, I think they got passed in October 27, 2018. They generated $17 million um, at the end of 2018. And then you have Rhode Island, which is the smallest state uh, in our union. Uh, they generate about $2 million, with 51% of the revenue going to uh, the state. Um, and I saved Jersey for last because their story is pretty remarkable, being that the proximity to New York, they generated $928 million in six months. So they almost did a billion dollars in six months. And what's interesting is that um, most of their... When you say they, so who who gets them? That's the state? Who who makes that money? The state makes that... Well, That's the, the money that the state made or the, that the, the gambling the, companies made? So the companies uh, take a percentage, the state takes a percentage. New Jersey didn't give um, the details on how much they, they take from it. So like I said... Um, that's, so that's a total revenue. Yeah, total revenue. So like like I said, Delaware takes 50% of the revenue. New Jersey didn't release the, the figures on how much they take from... So Delaware takes 50%. 50% of the revenue. Tax. Yeah. That's interesting. So let's... Not to cut you off, but... Yeah. So I didn't I didn't realize the, the tax that is paid that gamble... Gambling institutions pay, right? So we're in New York, right? I know we have listeners all over, but we're in New York. So there's New York gambling is not really legal right? on a, on that level. It's like slot machines and stuff like that. Yeah. So there's a casino where we live, mm -hmm. right? And um, But they don't actually have card games. They just have slot, slot machines. Slot machines. Yeah. So I heard, I was at a panel discussion, and I heard one of the executives at the casino speak and she was saying that they pay somewhere between 60 and 70% of their revenue in taxes <laughs> to the state. Yeah. So now you're saying that Delaware pays 50, takes 50%. Yeah. And, but she was saying even, but this is how much money gambling makes, even though they, they pay 70% of their revenues to the state. It's still profitable for them. Exactly. That's how much money they're exactly. bringing in. Right. So like that number, and it, and now that we, we, we're we in uh, 2019, you, you can just put that up to $1.2 in six months, right? All they did was legalize it. And the interesting like I thing I was saying about New Jersey is that most of their betting takes place online. So that's when you get sites, um, ind independent sites and FanDuel, 
and um, DraftKings who are sport who actually now have sports books, so people can literally gamble in their hands. Um, so I remember a time. Maybe, so just briefly explain that for somebody that might not be a sports fan. Okay, how, so, what what that means? So FanDuel is, is is a is an app, and DraftKings both of them are, are apps where you can it, it arises from the daily fantasy um, games. So people were playing daily fantasy and putting money in to start pools, and then they FanDuel and DraftKings come up with an idea like, listen, we can do this on a daily basis. You don't have to wait a week. You can do it twice in a day. They, they change the parameters. So I can put um, a lineup together at for 1 o'clock games, and depending on how those players that I pick perform, I can win money. Um, I could also do that at the 4.30 games. I could do it at the Monday night So you're, game. you're pretty much you're picking your team. Yeah, you're picking a team every time you bet. Okay. Yeah. Um, so from that, they decide after – New Jersey legalizes that they're going to create their own sports book. So a sports book is where you actually place bets on games. So that's like a bookie. A bookie. Like if sense. you go to Vegas. Right. You get a ticket. Right. So New Jersey has a sports book. The interesting thing about New Jersey is that it's 10 minutes from New York City. Right. So Depending well, on the Well, the, ma- I'm, when I, when the I'm border. T- the border. Right. Let me say it correctly. So FanDuel is in charge of the sports book at the Meadowlands. So the Meadowlands, for those of you who aren't um, from the Tri-State area, the Meadowlands is where the Giants and the Jets play. The MetLife Stadium? MetLife Stadium. So the, the FanDuel Sportsbook is, head, is headquarters is at the Meadowlands. So that's about 15 minutes from New York City, given if there's no traffic, 15 minutes. So what we're seeing is a lot of people who want to place bets that are from New York and can't do it, they're driving to Jersey, they're placing their bets, they're staying in Jersey to watch the games, Spending capital at restaurants, right? Maybe gambling more while they're there, paying for gas while they're there. All this money that's leaving New York is going to Jersey to place bets. So they track it via your phone, right? So your like GPS in your phone. There's an interesting story about that. Well, before we even get to that, yeah. that's important. You're, you're being tracked at all times. Absolutely. You know when I found that I was being tracked at all times? This is kind of going off topic, but it's interesting. <laughs> so I used to have a BMW, right? And um, the car kept down having problems. So yeah. I had to take it in to get service. And they asked me, they said, um, you don't do a lot of long distance driving, do you? And I looked and I'm like, how do you know that? And he's like, we looked at the GPS. And that's why I'm like, they really know where my car is at at all times. Yeah. So if you ever did something and you, didn't, you can't say you wasn't there because your car is there. Your car is there. Same thing with your cell phone. It's like when you drive now and your watch says eight minutes away from home. Right. I'm like, yo, what? All that is the, all that, so exactly, your <laughs> iPhone, your iWatch, yeah. all of that has a GPS built in. So they know where you are at all times. Yeah. So the, the, the crazy part is, and going back to that GPS thing, is that in, I think, 2016, um, the Attorney General for the state of New York, um, I believe Schneiderman was his name, he uh, says that this is illegal. You can't use FanDuel. This is illegal. We don't know how to regulate it yet. So DraftKings and FanDuel get suspended. So you can't use it in New York State. So I, I, I recall, I remember people like listening. Like, yo, I'm going to drive to Connecticut because we live pretty close to Connecticut and we live pretty close to New Jersey. Yo, I'm going to take that 10-minute drive. I'm going to put my lines in because my GPS will show that I'm in Connecticut and then come back home. So what, what, what would happen if you try to place a bet in New York? It wouldn't go through. Just because of your it, GPS. Yeah, you get the message like you are not in a state that allows FanDuel to be played. If you if you take one step into Connecticut, you're good. The GPS yeah. changes. I had a friend of mine call his sister in Las Vegas to log into his account to say, "Listen, can you put a line in for me?" 
please. Like it was that serious, right? So that got lifted over, um, I believe, 2000, the summer of 2017. So now you can use FanDuel um, for the daily fantasy portion, but you can't place the sports, uh, you can't use the sports booking part of, of the app. Not yet, which I think will change. I think will change when we have a governor now who is, I think, on board with that. So billion dollar industry. Sit easily billion dollars. Bigger, Six months. Bigger than New York. Yeah. All over America. Right. All over the world. Sports betting. Billions. People are betting on everything. Point spreads. Point spreads. Um, I just saw <laughs> um, a prop bet, and it was uh, because the NBA All-Star game, they picked the captains uh, recently, and it was like, there's a prop bet for who the first pick is going to be. Right, like James Harden is the favorite to be the number one pick. Like you can bet on that, right? Like that's crazy, right? Um, who's gonna win a coin toss? Who's gonna get the first first down? Who's the first catch? Who's gonna make the first three pointer in the game? Like all these things are being bet on, and they seem like so trivial. And it's like, wait, that makes sense. People are betting on them every day. So uh, New Jersey, billion dollars, six months. What's New York's response? I think we'll see a change within the next year. Right, we got a new attorney general, um, and Letitia James, who now is in charge of how to regulate these things. Right, so she can control. Hey, we get that money, we regulate it. Here's where we can spread it, and hopefully, and I remember you posted something about the lottery and like how it was originally supposed to be uh, for schools. Right, maybe that's where this heads. Right, we get another source of revenue. For the state, and now it could, the funds could be appropriated in the right way. That's my hope, and hopefully that happens. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> I'm fighting for education. You know that. I'm always going to fight for that. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So sports betting, billion dollar industry, billion dollar industry. So keeping it in sports, we actually had a conversation last week about. George Foreman, right? Mm -hmm. So George Foreman is interesting for a few different reasons. Yeah. Right? As anybody that follows me knows, I like to do case studies on not just businesses, but individuals as well. Entrepreneurs and like the backstories on deals and stuff like that. So George Foreman, what is he known for? George Foreman, he's a generational personality, right? Like I said, like depending on what generation you come from will determine on how you remember George Foreman. So like my dad and your dad, they know him as the great boxer, this Hall of Fame guy who gets roped by Muhammad Ali. Um, And he's known for that for a generation. Then the next generation, I feel like our generation, to a certain extent, is like, he's the guy who's out of shape. Why is he still boxing? Becomes the commentator for boxing on HBO. And at some point, he gets a sitcom. And it's like, all right, this is, who is this guy? And then the next generation of people, like we're like tail end of that, he's known as the guy who's on the infomercials selling a product. Selling a product. Yeah. Okay. So this is the way this is. So a legendary product. Okay. So I gotta tell a story. <laughs> I gotta tell a story in, in full detail. So George Foreman was a legendary boxer, right? right. Who in the seventies. He retired from boxing in nineteen seventy seven. Right? First time he retired okay, from yeah. boxing in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah. He had $5 million at the time of his retirement, which is equal to $20 million today. That's not bad for a boxer. Not bad for anybody. Yeah. 
In 10 years, by 1987, he was flat broke, in his words. He was flat broke. Mm -hmm. He made some bad investments. You know how athletes go broke. There's a long list of reasons why. Flat broke in 1987, which forced him back into fighting. Right. So he comes out of retirement. And <laughs> actually wins. No, he does win. <laughs> but he, so in 1994, he became champion. Yeah. Did he beat Michael Moore? I think so. Might have been Michael Moore. The oldest heavyweight champion at that time in history, 45 years old. He yeah. might still be that record. Yeah. I don't know. Belly out of so this world. 1994, he becomes a heavyweight champion at 45 years old. Another interesting thing happened in 1994, though, right? So in 1994, not only is he the heavyweight champ, but Hulk Hogan is the WWF <laughs> champ. WWF, people don't even know what WWF is. It's called they, WWE now. Now, yeah, they had the lawsuit with the world, what is it? The, um, it was an animal organization that had that name, and they lost the lawsuit, so they had to change it to WWE. Okay. Anybody that grew up in the 80s or the 90s, so I grew up in the 90s, right? Anybody that grew up in the 90s, wrestling played a major part Huge. in the culture. Absolutely. Culture. Who's your favorite? Uh, Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. like Undertaker. I'm a, Ultimate Warrior was my guy. Ultimate Warrior, he played guy. a part. He played uh, Ultimate Warrior. He passed. Rest in peace to him. Rest in peace. Yeah. So Hulk Hogan, icon. Absolutely. I don't think people fully understand how iconic Hulk Hogan was. Like, you actually had to be living in that moment. Hulkamania he was, like was a real thing. The Beatles. It was a real Hulkamania. Like, it was a real thing. Like, I remember watching that, and that was when wrestling came on at Saturdays at 8 o'clock. And then it came on at Sundays at 12. Like, before no, it was a Monday Night Raw. Different. This guy was like Hulk Hogan. Superstar. Different. Superstar. He was Michael, he was Michael Jordan of wrestling. Yes, him and Andre Giant, they have that in like the that that match at Madison Square Garden as one of the biggest moments in the history of New York City. Like when he picks up the all like monstrous Andre the Giant and does like the slam on. It's like the, one of the most memorable moments in the history of Madison Square Garden. Hulk Hogan, legend, legend. So, all right, so 1994, they're both champs, right? They also both have the same business manager. Oh, okay, right. So Hulk Hogan at the time is. Bigger than George Foreman. So the business manager meets with Hulk Hogan. He has three products for him to endorse. He offered him three products for him to endorse. Yeah. He had to pick one. One was a grill. One was a meatball maker. And one was a blender. Right? Yeah. He chose the meatball maker. <laughs> The meatball maker, the name is the Hulkamania Meatball Maker. Have you heard of it? Did you get one? I never heard of it. <laughs> I didn't even know. No, I so obviously never heard of it. He chose the Hulkamania Meatball Maker. That's what he chose. Now, he told the agent, get somebody else, get one of your other clients to endorse the other, the grill and the blender. Yeah. So, at the time... George Foreman was eating two hamburgers before every fight. It was like a big thing. So he thought that it would be a perfect person to endorse the grill. So George Foreman agrees to endorse the grill, right? So he makes a deal with the grill company to get 40% profit of every grill sold. Like, every grill sold. It's like a masterpiece. And his name was on it, which we know as the Foreman Grill. 
Yeah. Right? He makes up to $8 million a month with the Foreman Grill. Oh, my. He made so much money with the Foreman Grill that eventually the people, they realized they made a bad deal because they gave him too much. Way too much. Yeah. So they say, okay, we got to get away from this. So in 1999, they make a deal with him. They pay him $138 million to buy him out and to, to use his name in perpetuity with the product forever. Mm-hmm. He takes the deal. So he made over $250 million when you add the money that he made before 1999. Mm-hmm. And then the lump sum, $138 million payout that they brought him out with in 1999. This is astonishing amount of money. Game like, changer. Hey, he hasn't looked back since. I mean, and those grills, I mean, every household has. No, it's one of the best inventions ever made. I think because, it, was, it made the, like the list of best inventions No, it's ever definitely made. top three. Because when I was in college, I literally only cooked on the Foreman Grill. Yeah. I know a bunch of people who became chefs off the Foreman Grill. Oh, it's game changer. Yeah. It was ridiculous. You can cook anything on the Foreman Grill. Yeah. I, we went from having two hamburgers to eight. At a time, like we could make. You can those. cook corn on the Foreman Grill. It was ridiculous, and it was easy to clean. It was perfect. It was a perfect product. So, do we blame Hulk Hogan, or do we just chalk it up to just luck? Um, because who knows the yeah. grill was going to do that, right? No, I, I don't think we could have predicted that. No one could have predicted that, right? Like he would have done that if he had known the grill. But could you imagine the the Hulk Hogan grill? Little known historical fact, and that's why we're here. Little known historical facts like that change the course of history. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's change. Let's change topics let's now. Let's change lanes. Let's change lanes. Yeah. One eighty, and let's talk about the art world. Yeah. Right. So this topic is 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 something that is near and dear to my heart. A little known fact <laughs> is that so I, I, I used to play sports. Yeah. But my Some, first passion was art. First love. So I used to draw, and I actually was in a gifted and talented art class. Um, I could have actually probably taken art further than I did, but I got distracted by other things. So art is something that I've always had a passion for. But we're going to talk about the business side of art. The business side. Yeah, absolutely. So um, people don't realize that art as an item is something that appreciates in value, which means it gains value over time. It's an investment. It's an investment. Um, So when we hear... I bought that artwork for one million. Two years later, it's worth two million. A couple years later, it's worth eight million. I can't wait to get that to my chair. What Jay's saying in that line, and we reference him again, is that this is an investment that I purchased at a price, which will gain value in a year. Eight years gains even more. But wait till my children get older and can take that asset, and now maybe they can use it for monetary gain. So. That artwork that he's talking about could be $50 million by the time his children are of age. Um, and that's not something that we think about investing in. It's not. And it's something that I want to even tie it even closer to the culture because a lot of times people... So when Jay... Because Jay says a lot of things that goes over people's heads, right? Mm-hmm. So like when he says, um, I got Basquiat's in the lobby on my spot. Yeah. Or, or when he says... Um, it ain't hard to tell. I'm the new John Michelle. Yeah. He's talking about John Michelle Basquiat, right? Yeah. So when you hear these names, it's like, especially John Michel, you might not know that that's Basquiat. Yeah. He's John Michel, you're thinking probably a French painter that lived in the 
early 1900s, right. maybe 1800s, maybe even 1700s. And it's like, how does that, what is that? You know, like I think that definitely goes over people's but the, but the crazy thing about it is that when he's referencing Basquiat, people don't understand, like, that is, that's hip-hop culture. Absolutely. This, so, this dude is from Brooklyn. He's from Brooklyn. He is Haitian. Yep. That's why his name is Gene. That's why he has a French name. Right. Right? Because he's Haitian. And then last name. He's half Haitian, half Puerto Rican, actually. Right. Yeah. But that's why. It was, so you hear Jean Michel Basquiat. You're not thinking a black kid from Brooklyn. No. But that's the backstory on it. He's Haitian. So he starts in the 80s. Not even that long ago. In the 80s as a graffiti artist. Right. 70s and into the 80s. 70s and into the 80s. Yeah. As a graffiti artist. Right. Dropped out of high school. Yep. Unfortunate. So he made he made his name for himself in the Lower East. He's from Brooklyn, but he made his name for himself in the Lower East Side. Right. Now, New York, for anybody that's not familiar, New York was a different place in the 80s than it is now. Absolutely. Completely different, right? The Lower East Side, Alphabet City, was a different place than it is now. Yeah. So the street art was huge. Graffiti, graffiti, yes. Train graffiti, Tags, all that stuff. everything. Huge. Yeah. Right? So he starts with that. And then he blows up and becomes the toast of New York and becomes the hottest artist in the yeah, city. Yeah, like I think he's on the cover of Time Magazine or one of these publications where he, this is the new face of art. Like this kid is... Brilliant. Is he 22, 23 at the time? Like he's the face of art now. Like people are putting him in... In museums with Warhol now, like at twenty, in his twenties, prodigy. Yeah, absolutely, prodigy, absolutely. Unfortunately, passed away. Yeah, from an overdose at twenty-seven years old. Yeah, heroin overdose in nineteen eighty-eight. Different time, eighties, New York City. But the but time. the but the and even the interesting thing more so is that in two thousand and seventeen, his painting sold for one hundred and ten million. Now the reason why that's interesting is that that made him the highest. Well, he he's the the number one U.S. painter with the highest selling paint painting ever. Yeah, he has the highest selling painting for a U.S. painter ever yeah. for 110 million. So you got a kid from Brooklyn who is a graffiti artist at his core, mm -hmm. dropped out of high school, was living on the street. That is the most successful U.S. Painter and one of the most successful artists in world history. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Yeah, it's legendary. Like just even a backstory, like that that song that we were talking about, the Picasso Baby song. It like inspired us so much that like during our summer, my summer program, like our team was like, "Listen, we're gonna use this song and we're gonna go to the Museum of Modern Art, and we're gonna teach them about the, just from these lyrics about the paintings that he's talking about because most of the artists that Jay's talking about." Whether it's, it's Basquiat or it's Warhol or Picasso, it's Picasso or it's um, Jeff Koons, like he's talking about, they're in that museum. So we literally put together a scavenger hunt in the museum um, for the kids to become familiar with the art, right, from Jay and the artist that he's speaking of. Like that's how much it impacted us. So like that's legendary. No, it is, and like you said, it's interesting because we talk about investments. That's an interesting investment that the average person doesn't think about. Yeah, art. 
investing in art, right? But so that's why when Jason, like you said that line, one million, then two years later it's worth two million. I can't wait to give it to my children. That's yeah. that's that's even deeper than just art because it's like, okay, I'm leaving a legacy to my kids, yeah. right? And but I'm teaching them about investing, right? But art is an investment. But I want to tie it in too because you know a lot of times we, we're talented people, right? And whether we take photos or whether we draw, or whether we paint, a lot of times we don't fully understand the value of what we are doing because we we are artists, right? Yeah. And it's like I would have never. I, I I guarantee you, he Basquiat never thought his painting would sell for one hundred and ten one hundred and ten million dollars for yeah. a painting. Probably couldn't fathom that, right? No so way. it's like so. But the interesting thing about art is that it's whatever somebody thinks is worth, yeah. right? So it's important that you know your worth as an artist, right? Because mm-hmm. like I said, there's a lot of people in our community that are talented, but do they fully understand that? What they're doing is valuable. Like somebody might look at what they're doing and say, that's trash. Somebody else might look at what they're doing and say, I'll give you a million dollars. For that piece, right. And we can't mention art, especially in in hip-hop culture, without mentioning Swiss. Swiss What he's doing with the No Commissions um, campaign. Like, that's brilliant, right? A lot of times um, artists create these paintings and have to put them, display them in a gallery. And what people don't realize is that they have to pay a commission to the gallery to display the art and it's like they lose money just because they want to display it in this this setting and what he's doing is like listen we're gonna we'll make the setting and there's no commission like you get a hundred percent of what somebody paid for that which is dope because he only not only does he again teach about art in a a sense but he's also teaching education like listen get a hundred percent of what you're worth like why pay this middleman because he's, he's you're using this gallery Right, the gallery may hold prestige, but the art is what makes people come. And it's similar to so, so it all ties into even like the record label, right? Yeah, where it's like, say, if this is art, why do I need to go to Sotheby's or one of these houses to place my art so they can get a huge commission and they could value it and they could say this is worth this much and have an yeah. auction on it? It's like this is art. Same thing with music, right? Why do I have to go to a record label and have them take a piece of it and have them display it on their catalog and I appear courtesy of oh, yeah. a record company. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and that's it. So it all ties in. So when people think about art, a lot of times they don't fully understand how how much art is valued. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's actually mind blowing when you when you do the numbers on it. And we got the two biggest art stories of last year. I would argue there is uh, number one the Banksy story. Um, you want to explain who Banksy? Banksy is a legend. So Banksy is a street artist who goes all around the world and he just pops up and he'll just he'll paint these 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 paintings on buildings on sidewalks on streets yeah. anywhere but nobody ever knows you know who he is see we like to talk culture yeah like right let's do that so one of the illest things ever was when ghostface killer first came out right with the wu-tang because nobody saw his face protecting that video we didn't know who for he like was. the first four videos uh, yeah, I think, yeah, so like the, the protecting act in the Method Man video. Yeah, he, no, and that's why he was he called Ghostface, because yeah. nobody saw him. Exactly. And it was like a whole big thing, like, who is he, right? <laughs> and, and it was the mystique. When nobody knows who you are, you have a certain mystique to you. Right. So, like he said later, he said, when, he, when my face got revealed, the game got real. So, for the first four, <laughs> for the first four videos, nobody knew who he lo- what he looked like, because he had like a visor, like, on. Like, he, it, it, it was, it was interesting. So, you have a certain mystique to you when 
people don't know who you are. They just hear about your name. And I, that's true. Like, and that is the original form of graffiti. Like in the seventies and eighties, especially in New York City, it was like we put up this art. You'll know us by our tags. You don't even have to know who we are. Just know, like, oh, wait, oh, that's the new guy. He's hot. Look at this tag that he did. Look at the train that he just he that piece that he put on that train. Or look at the that building over there that he tagged. And it was like that's what you became known for. Your tag name and the art that you put up. And then that gets frowned upon in New York City, and cops, you know, crack down on it, and they they erase them, and people are getting locked up for uh, graffiti. Um, and twenty years, thirty years later, we have this. Person. And, that, and that's what I said. I said this last time, and I fully believed it. I said this on the first episode. You can't stop energy, yeah. right? So graffiti. I don't know if graffiti started with hip hop, but I'm just going to say it did because I think it did. That's part of hip hop. So that started in the South Bronx with people. Spray painting trains, spray painting walls, spray and like you said, it was frowned upon. It was looked at like it was defacing the city. Yeah. They had a whole campaign to stomp it out. I go to Germany, Thailand, Asia, spray painting everywhere, murals, murals. Yeah, and now Bansky is pretty much a spray painter. <laughs> is currently the most famous artist in the world, the most notorious artist in the world. He's doing what. Kids, just regular 16, 15-year-old kids was doing yeah. in 1986. And they weren't looked at as artists. They were just regular kids with a spray can. They were looked at as delinquents. Misfits. Yeah. So that's how it all... It's interesting, but Bansky, we got to talk about the, the, the stunt that he pulled. Yeah, so the two biggest... I would argue the two biggest stories in art were the Bansky um, shredded painting. Like This was like a miraculous stunt. Um so he, he uh, puts a painting up for auction, um, but he's, no, he actually had a painting that he never wanted to be auctioned, um, and he put it in this, this case um, that was very thick, and people were like, this feels pretty funny, it's very heavy, and it went up for auction, right? That was the one thing he said he did not want to happen with the painting, it went up for auction. And so they're bidding on it, bidding on it, and what, did you remember what the bid went up to? 1.4 million. 1.4 million. And as soon as that gavel went down and they were trying to take the painting off the wall, the, the painting starts to slide. It starts to shred. They it had, starts to slide. Had, so he has a shredder. <laughs> he has a shredder built, built in the built frame. the frame of the painting. As soon as the person paid $1.4 and the money got transferred, yeah. they're about to give her or him the painting. As they're, giving, as they're trying to take it off the wall, it starts to shred, like a paper shred. They yeah. were actually, the interesting thing about, so he must have had somebody on the inside. Yeah. That was there's, waiting. There's like it's like Mission Impossible. Yeah, some theories like like maybe he was in that room or they pressed the button. Somebody pressed that button right after they, yeah. it was done. The interesting thing about it, this is there. the interesting thing about it is that they were able to stop it because yeah. it only shredded halfway. So it's halfway shredded. It sold for 1.4 million. Now I know where you're going. It's worth two million. <laughs> exactly. It's actually worth more than before. Than before. <laughs> That's how art is so crazy. Because now that's art. Because that's art. Yeah. That you got a half-shredded Banksy painting, the whole story behind yeah. it, it. It went up 600000 Yeah, The moment plus the painting added to the value of it. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that's this, the second story um, is Jay-Z and Beyonce, right? Them shooting that apeshit video in the Louvre, what that did, they set record numbers for attendance at the Louvre. And the, the museum itself said thank you to them for bringing attention to that. So the Louvre is the most popular, famous art museum in the right. world. Absolutely. In Paris, 
the pyramid building. Yeah. The glass pyramid. The glass pyramid, right. So the tennis Where the Mona Lisa is. Right. So like the 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 part in the video where they're standing in front of it. I remember he said, like, I'm sleeping next to the modern day Mona Lisa. Like, we are art. Like that's Mona Lisa, but we're the focus here. Like So they do it they do a video in the in the, the Louvre. Yeah, and tennis goes up by twenty five percent. Immediately after. We you can't discount that. Like just because they shot like that doesn't even happen. Like how many videos have even been shot in there? Like there's certain paintings they don't even allow you to even film in there, and they got the rights to do the entire video in there. Had to close it down, um, and look what it does for the museum. Culture, culture. Yeah, man. All right, all right, okay. So, final word. It's on you, man. <laughs> Throw it to you. Yeah, final word, man. Like I said, um, I just think that a lot of times we have to fully understand that what we're doing has value, yeah. right? We don't want to talk over anybody's head. We want to talk directly to the people. And it's important to realize, and we, that's why we wanted to just talk about that art yeah. situation, is that no matter what you're doing, it's valuable, right? So it's important to, A, understand your worth, never let somebody devalue your worth, and also, you know, have a, a broader sense of this is cool, but this is bigger than just my community. This yeah. is bigger than like, this is for the world. Like this, cause like I said, what we're doing is affecting the world. Right. So yeah, it's important we, to understand that. In a sense, like we, we're using the culture to teach culture. That, but I'm just saying, when I say we, I'm talking about everybody. Yeah. Our culture is world culture. As, absolutely. I think we, who, somebody said that like the number one export of America is culture. Right. Like we affect so many different places based on the things we do. Exactly. Exactly. So know your worth. That's my final word. Know your worth. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you for rocking with us. We'll see y'all next week. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.